0: So this picture here, not satisfied. Uh, you can see uh, the images there. I asked Sarah this week to just try to find some images of things that, that we tend to chase after. And as you can see there, um, I don't know about you, my, my eye was always drawn to the dog first. I don't know why that is, what that says about me, but you got the car, you got money, jewelry, uh, you've got you know, peace down there, you got marriage and vacations and like all these things that we can chase after and it's odd, uh, and I wonder, and I'd love for you to think just personally, why is it that we are so not satisfied? You know, Given that we have so much to be grateful for in America, why is it that the average person seems to be so unsatisfied? Uh, I listen to Dave Ramsey radio a lot, like a well, little podcast a lot, and when people call in and they say, hey Dave, how you doing? His response is always, better than I deserve. Uh, That's what he always says to everybody. He says, hey man, I'm doing better than I deserve. And it's like, man, that is such a great mentality to have that we have so, so much. But the problem though is that so many people are really not satisfied with their family, with their jobs, with the political direction, the economic direction of the nation, uh, you know, even hobbies that they have. They're not satisfied with their house or their stuff, their cars. Uh, And then Jesus eventually gets lumped into that. They're not satisfied with him either because he's not doing what he should be doing for them. And so we just walk through this life, even as followers of Christ, we can walk through very, very, very not satisfied. And I want us to look at that really in a personal way for us. Like how can we live in a world that's always like pressing in on us and say, no, I've got so much to be grateful for, and it's not just like a, oh, Jesus died for my sins, so therefore I should be happy. It's not that at all, Um, but I do think there's a, a tension that we see in life and a tension we see in Scripture that Paul really does bring out in Philippians, and it's that we can't, as Christians, right? So if you're in here and you're saying, I'm a follower of Christ, you can't live your life with just this mentality that this is it, like this, my temporary momentary right now happiness is the dictator of how my life is, that, that it's just about the here and now. Like, you should live your life in, in light of, not just eternity, but in the long play of your life and the decisions that you're making, the wisdom that you have to make that affect your whole entire life, because that is a tension that is absolutely there. And if you're constantly focusing on the here and now and you're constantly focusing on your happiness now, it's gonna leave you exhausted because you're gonna be constantly chasing something that you'll never actually catch, right? Because there, there's just an exhausting cycle of like, I'm just gonna to try to make myself happy and I'm gonna to try to make my life and I'm gonna sacrifice everything to make sure that I have happiness. And I saw this recently on something that Dave Ramsey did. It was called Borrowed Future and it was about college in America. And this guy was interviewing a round table of graduating seniors, and there was this one kid in particular that said, you know, my happiness is the most important thing. He was like, I know, but he was like, you're, like, you're literally getting ready to sign up for like $200,000 in college debt to go because you want to have the experience and you want to be happy. And this kid is like, yeah. He's like, that's what you should do. Like, that, if you need to sacrifice whatever for happiness. And it was like that right there, that one line from the entire documentary was like, that is a problem with so many of us is we really, we may not say that out loud as boldly as this kid did, but our actions do reflect that. Like my happiness is really, really important. And so I need to sacrifice everything because of that. I mean, if you think about it in a way, our nation is almost built on the idea that you deserve happiness because as Americans, we are all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Isn't that odd? the pursuit. They say life, yeah, you've got, it's a guarantee. Liberty, man, you've got it, it's a guarantee. But that happiness thing, you're just going to be chasing that for the rest of your life, right? You're going to be pursuing that thing that you'll never catch for the rest of your life. And I wish, I wish, not that I'm smarter than our founding fathers, don't get me wrong here, but I wish they would have said the pursuit of meaning or purpose or value or community, right? Or Like, like these kind of things that are like building something, but like we all grow up with that mentality like, oh yeah, happiness is a guarantee from my life that I need as an American and I'm going to pursue everything to get it. And it's left us very, very not satisfied, this pursuit of happiness. Because I think about it, this week, I was trying to think of like a tangible way of like, how could I picture this? And it's really like a carousel, right? You remember the old carousels, right? Like the horses going up and down and stuff. And if you're a chicken, you get the stationary one that goes. And, and, you know, it's like, but if you, if you look at happiness that way, I think it can be very, very helpful because here's what we do. I think like we stand in the center of this thing or maybe on the outside of it and we're watching the carousel go by with like all these things that bring happiness, right? It's like, Oh, a new job or new friends, or food, or money, or, oh, here comes Jesus, I'll try him. Ah, that didn't really work, I'll let him go by. And then we're back to friends, we're back to identity, we're back to a new truck, a new car, and a new job in a new state, right? A new spouse, because the old one's getting old, and I don't like that anymore, right? They're not fun. Oh, here comes Jesus again, I'll try him again. Right? And Jesus is just one of many temporary options for our personal happiness. The savior and creator of the world becomes just one little item that's going around on a carousel of our personal happiness, right? And if he doesn't give it to us in a way and in the time frame that we want it, then, well, I'll just try the next thing. And as this carousel keeps spinning, and as we keep chasing and pursuing happiness, we keep becoming more and more not satisfied. Like, I think that's a huge thing that we're seeing because, like, again, that documentary really said the heart of a generation and the heart of the American ethos. Like, then this, like, the pursuit of happiness, like, you have to sacrifice everything to get it. Like he literally said that. And it's like, and we do that, we do that. And the average, because the, I was looking up some some stats on this this week, trying to think about like the world that we live in. And in America, life is really, really honestly like engineered through marketing and advertising to make you feel like your life stinks, right? Like you do not have what it takes. You're not good enough, your stuff's not good enough. And you need to get something new. Like you need more and you need better. You, we always need upgrades. And I'm not saying in this life as a follower of Christ, you can't want better for yourself. I'm not saying that at all. But it, I'm, what I am saying is it doesn't involve the things that we typically want, the things that we typically do. And the, the, I found a stat this week. Uh, Forbes magazine put this out several years ago, but it's just been, it's been kind of like the running number. And I thought, man, there's no way. The average American sees about four to 10,000 ads per day. And I was like, how is that even possible? And then, so I started, I was like, all right, let's wake up in the morning. I I thought through my day and I was like, okay, so what do I do first? Like many people, you probably go out into your kitchen, right? You stumble your way into the kitchen and what's there? There is a million advertisements all over your appliances, all over that coffee machine that brings life in the morning, right? And you've got... Like everywhere you go in your house, like you put your shoes on, right? There's an ad right there. They're not accidentally putting their name on their stuff, right? That's an ad and they're all over our homes, right? And then you turn on the TV and then you get on social or you get on in your car and the radio and you're seeing billboards, depending on what your commute is like, right? Or you're just online and they're constantly all over the place and they're all telling us the same thing. Your life stinks. And what you need is us. Right. And that's the beauty of Steve jobs. Right. So Steve jobs, the reason he is such a genius is when he started coming out with products, he was coming out with products that we didn't really need, but he convinced us that we absolutely needed them. Right. That was the genius of Steve jobs. He said, see this little iPod here. It carries music around and it's going to change your life. And everybody was like, it will change my life. I need to carry that box around so I can have music, right? And then he came out with this, and I remember thinking this was the stupidest design in the universe an iPad. I was like, who in the world is going to need an iPad? That's stupid. Until so Steve Jobs was like, but you need it. And I was like, actually, he's got a great point. I do need an iPad. And now it is incredibly helpful. I use it all the time. But when it first came out, that was his genius. He was like, here's this brand new thing that nobody needs, nor wants, nor thinks they need, and I'm going to convince the world that they do. And he did. And Apple is one of the most productive and successful companies ever, right? It's insane. And so we see four to 10,000 ads a day telling us that, that what we have is not enough. And that's the world that we live in, right? And so the result though of that, of course, is it has an effect on us. Uh, And what that effect is of being not satisfied all the time is that we go, we rack up crazy amounts of debt to get that truck we need, right? That car we deserve, that jewelry that's just gonna make us look fancy. Nobody notices jewelry, right? It's just like, it's one of those things that it's very, very personal, but you could have like, you could have like the queen's diamond on and I would not even notice, right? It's just like, so a lot of the stuff is very, very personal to us that we think we need and it's gonna make all this difference. And it's like, and so we spend all this money right? Or we compromise our beliefs for relationships, right? Because we think we buy that lie that we need a romantic relationship. I talk to a lot of single people, like teenagers and young adults and older adults. And it's just like, we've bought this lie from our culture that we're not a whole person if we don't have a relationship. Like if we're not in a romantic relationship, we're not like a complete person, Right? And that's very much a message that we we get. And then we feel insecure about that. So then, well, I got to go and find that because that's what I need because I'm not satisfied being single, which I'm not saying is an easy thing to be single, but it's like all of a sudden, like now I'm going to compromise what I believe. And now I'm in a relationship that's like, and I remember Pastor Dean said years ago and it stuck with me and he says it like a lot, actually. He said, it's better to be single and lonely than to be married and lonely. You know, he said, there's there's not many worse things to be married and lonely. So be very careful who you choose to be in relationship with. Don't just be in relationship, just to be in relationship. And it's like, again, that being not satisfied feeling pulls us into that. Or we compromise our beliefs at work because, hey, if I want to climb the ladder, Kyle, you don't understand the real world. You're just here preaching on Sunday. Nobody's, you know, you don't live in the real world. So out in my world, man, I've got to do certain things. Yeah, I've got to make certain compromises because that's how it is in the real world. And if I want to succeed and get ahead then this is what I need to do. Meanwhile, you're selling your soul, right? And then now, then you're coming in and you're like, man, I don't know what happened. I don't know why this is that, this and that. And it's like, okay, well, what's been going on in your relationships? Like what's happening at work? Like, what are you doing? And, and it's like, okay, man, I'm making a lot of concessions in my life here. And it's like, it's eating me up, right? It's eating me up. I've dug myself holes in certain ways. And again, because we're not satisfied. Like we can't do it God's way because that's not the real world. Our younger parents, Talk to a lot of younger parents, and they, they buy into a lot of the things that are being told to us, right? Parents with younger kids. Like, well, man, your kids need to be in multiple things all throughout the week, you know? And real, realistically, if they want to get to the NFL ever, they need to be playing two sports at the same time, right? And I talk to parents constantly that are run ragged, and we're busy, we're a busy family, too. Like, that's just, it, it is part of growing up. But I talk to so many parents on the sidelines of these games, and they are absolutely worn thin there's no margin in their lives because they are literally signing their kids up for two sports at a time and then they've got multiple kids in sports and all they are is a taxi, right? And it's like, they feel like their lives are just like, just threadbare and they're like, you know, and then they're spending all kinds of money because just just this week, talking to a couple parents about their kids wanting to go to college and this whole group of parents, I was just kind of like observing. And they were saying, oh yeah, they're all, all kids are graduating, all seniors. And they were saying, "You know, oh yeah, all the schools they're looking at are just so expensive. And it's just like, I guess I'm just gonna have to get a second job. And I wanted to be like, or don't send them to that college. Like go to community college. Like why are you spending 60 grand a year because your kid wants that particular school. But again, that's what we buy. And it's like, well, that's just, that's, my hands are tied. My hands are tied. They want to go to Harvard and I got to pay for it. It's like, or they could go to Quincy and work. And it's like, but again, these are the lies that we just, we absorb as parents and we just string ourselves so thin and end up being incredibly not satisfied. So I'm just trying to make this real practical before we get into this book today to say, like this, these are the real things that people are, are talking to me about, the roads I've gone down myself that leave us feeling incredibly not satisfied, right? And that's what Paul is trying to get at here. Like in this world where there's gonna be a lot pulling at us, how can we live a life that is really satisfied And we're gonna be celebrating Thanksgiving this month, right? So that's kind of where I was in my heart thinking about all this, because Thanksgiving tends to be another one of those things that ends up being not super life-giving, right? Because we are so concerned with the prepping of the food, family coming into town or going out of town, right? And then you got Black Friday, and then you got Digital Monday, and then you got Giving Tuesday, and then you've got, like, you know, all this stuff. It's like, hey, now that you're completely broke, could you give to us as well, right, on Tuesday? And it's like, you know, so we just have, like, all this stuff, again, pulling at us at this time of the year. And then if you're, like, in my house, Bear started celebrating Christmas about a week ago. So, you know, it's like you've just got all this stuff kind of running together here at the end of the year, uh, but will we be intentional about actually giving thanks? You know what I'm saying? Like, Will we use this? Like we do Advent, we celebrate Advent to kind of prepare our hearts for Christmas. So like slow us down spiritually to be able to celebrate the coming of our King. Will you do the same thing with Thanksgiving? Could you celebrate that in a way that all month long you're really trying to, like Brittany said, count your blessings? That'd be a great challenge for you. Go get a journal, go get a a 99 cent binder with paper in it and just write every day, just one thing, two things. You'll find as you do this, your list keeps getting longer and longer and longer if you do it every day and counting your blessings and living with a different view. So we're gonna be landing in the book of Philippians with uh, this month, our theme, uh, I wanna give us something that's, that's simple, hopefully to remember and uh, about turning the page on uh, going from not satisfied to satisfied, right? So we're gonna use an acronym, P-A-G-E, to look at uh, these four things right here, this month. Today is gonna to be perspective. What is your perspective and how's that affecting how you feel? Next week is going to be your attitude, right? We must have uh, Philippians two, verse five. You must have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean, and how does that affect how satisfied you feel? What kind of goals are you setting for you and your family, and how does that affect how satisfied you feel? And then, lastly, on New Year's or New Year's on uh, Thanksgiving Eve, what is it you're choosing to emphasize in your life? What are you giving priority to, and how is that affecting? how you feel and how satisfied you are, right? Especially if you're getting burned out at work or in your family or in life in general. These four things I think are big themes that come out um, and we're gonna just do this again in a kind of a topical way in the book of Philippians, just to see how did Paul and the church in Philippi live in a way that was really satisfied and fulfilled? So the question to consider during this series um, in light of all these things is how can we live a life that is satisfied? Like what does it look like to live a satisfied life, right? In light of the scarcity mindset that we're given, the fear mongering that we're constantly hearing, right? How do we live a satisfied life in the midst of all that stuff? Because for me, the bottom line, I really think the bottom line that that what we're seeing in the book of Philippians, follow Jesus because your heart and the world around us is going to lie to us, right? In America, we have had this, oh, you just need to follow your heart it's like, that sounds good, but what if your heart is leading you to a really destructive place? <laughs> what if your heart says you need that car, and that car just happens to cost $60,000, right? And you can't afford it. Well, just I can afford the payments, right? And now now our heart is leading us into place. Well, I just, I really like that person. I really think they love me, right? Like, but what if that person is abusive or just trying to use you? Or my heart says I can trust this investment because this person seems like a nice person. My heart says trust them when maybe you shouldn't. My mom, I used to make fun of her all the time. She was, uh, I love my mom to death, but she uh, was just such a good hearted person, I guess, about people and she would ask the car dealers for advice on the cars that she was buying and she'd be like, I remember telling me one time she asked the guy if it was a good deal. And I was like, Mom, don't ask the car dealer if that's a good deal. Of course, he's not gonna be like, actually, no, it's not a great deal. I would probably press for like at least ten thousand less, you know. But my mom was like that. I was like, Mom, you can't trust your heart on that one. She's like, I know, but he just seemed like a nice guy. I was like, I know, because he's a salesman, mom. Like that's his job. That's what he's supposed to do. Right? And so like our hearts can get us into trouble sometimes. And you know, the world's gonna lie to us as well. And so what you see Paul is saying, like, look, the, our circumstances, our hearts, like, life is, is often going to lie, and it's going to be pumping things at us that, that just is not life-giving at all. And so that's where Jesus, of course, steps in, right? That's where the gospel steps in. So a quick background on the book of Philippians uh, and Philippi and Paul. So Paul is going to write this. Uh, you're going to see his trip there in Acts 16, if you want to go to, like, what happened in the Bible um, from his journey there. And then uh, he's writing this letter to a church that um, has brought him a lot of joy. He's writing it about 10 years after he he visited them. Uh, So he visited them in like early 50s, wrote this letter, early 60s. He's writing it from prison. It's one of the prison epistles, and that's important to remember because he's in jail, likely waiting at uh, his death in Rome when he's writing this letter to them, right? And so the church, like the Acts 16 church that is made up of these believers, you have, um, of course, the Apostle Paul planting this church. And then you have Lydia, who is the first Christian convert in Europe. And then you have the jailer that's there. We learn about him uh, accepting Christ. And there's a whole bunch of women. There's a bunch of women that were a part of the church plant that happened in Philippi. And then you have the the author of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, um, who is named Luke he also was a, a pretty important part of that church plant. So it was a very diverse church, and God rose very di- desif- uh, diverse people up to plant this church uh, out of Acts 16. Kind of It's starting here during Paul's second missionary journey. And so what you see as Paul goes on, though, is that you, you have to recognize who Paul is because, again, he's writing from prison, and he's writing to people that have really, really blessed him. So here's what we see in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. So this is who Paul is, and I just <laughs> wanted to remind us the kinds of things this guy had lived through already in his life and with the ability to speak uh, with such joy and contentment. So here's Paul, received 39 lashes five different times. Uh, Three times he was beaten with rods, and one time he was stoned, and they left him for dead because stoning is, of course, supposed to kill you. So these are the things that he mentions in 2 Corinthians 11. Next, shipwrecked three times. Adrift at sea uh, for a night and a day, right? So just, you know, just cruising around in a a basically dead ship. We see that in Acts. And then dangers from rivers, robbers, Jews, Gentiles or non-Jews, false Christians. And then he also experienced danger in the city, in the wilderness, at sea. And this is just kind of me paraphrasing all the stuff that he's saying in 2 Corinthians 11. And he had sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. So it's like, how does a guy like that find joy, right? To live through all that and still be able to write this letter to the Philippians and speak of such joy. And I think a big part of it is that he is in a position of perspective, right? His perspective was radically different because of his relationship with Christ. Like, it's not just some like, oh, just trust in Jesus and everything will be good. It's like, no, this guy had such a relationship with Christ that it absolutely changed everything for him. And so there's a quote I found, if you know Chuck Swindoll, uh, I wanted to share this morning. Uh, He's a a pretty good writer. So this next screen here, what he says about this Corinthian church or this Philippian church, Paul and the church in Philippi both experienced real satisfaction that comes from serving Christ, right? Being in authentic relationship with his followers and serving others in the name of Jesus. So these people and Paul himself were able to find such satisfaction because they weren't just hyper-focused on the here and now. Really what Chuck Swindoll is saying, these people understood that joy was going to come through worship connection and service right like that's what was going to bring these people real joy was that living out their faith and it's why we've like made this part of our a cornerstone of our vision statement here is that we want to be a place of authentic worship connection and service and that's exactly what chuck swindoll said however many years ago he made this quote is that this is where they found joy they found it in large part because of each other They were living in relationship with other believers in Christ, and they were finding, like, real, authentic, life-giving relationship with one another. They were on mission together. They were worshiping. They were connecting. And then they were making the focus about other people. It wasn't solely about themselves. It was also, as Paul will say in the next chapter, it was also about other people. And that's what Chuck Swindoll is saying here. So today, as we look into Philippians 1 and we look at perspective— Um, I hope this will free us in a way to say, I don't need to listen to that message that says, hey, you need this. You need more to make you happy. I hope you'll have the luxury as a follower of Christ to say, no, I don't. Just defiantly look back and say, no, I don't need that. That's not gonna make me happy. That is the pursuit of happiness and I'll never catch it, right? Like hopefully we can do that. And that's what the following Christ does. So jumping into Philippians 1, he says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you always praying with joy for all of you in every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So here's perspective. Here's the influence that individual followers get to have, right? Their perspective was one of of the body of Christ. So he says here, because of your partnership, he's got this thanks that he's giving because of them. We tend to think of Paul as like the pillar of Christianity, but here he is talking about how much people have blessed him. Right, how much the body of Christ has done to encourage him and fulfill him and sustain him. Again, writing from jail, he says these things. And he goes on, verse 6, I'm sure of this, and this is a famous verse, right, out of Philippians. There's a lot of quotable verses out of Philippians. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. And that is an amazing promise of God that says what he started in you, fellow follower of Jesus, he is going to be with you until it's all said and done. But that is a promise of steadfastness from God. And it's also a promise, I think, that invites us into this next thing here that says, breathe, don't worry, God's got this, right? When the TV pundits and the advertisers are telling us that the world's on fire and our life sucks, you can be like, breathe, don't worry. God's got this, right? Like, uh, we have a different perspective. We have a different perspective on the world because of our hope in Christ and the, the connection that Jesus says he has with us until the end. And in verse 7, he says, Indeed, it's right for me to think this way about you. I've, I have you in my heart, and you are all, again, partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense of confirma- and confirmation of the gospel. Again, just look at that impact that they're having. Here, he's in jail and he's just talking about this joy that's come from these people. Don't ever, 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 ever underestimate your impact on another follower of Christ. And the joy, and the, like, the, like, the deep level of satisfaction that we can bring each other because we are the body of Christ. Like, that is huge. And I don't want us to un- overlook that. You know, that's why we don't want people sneaking in and sneaking out. It's like, don't miss the opportunity to either bless somebody or be blessed by somebody. Because that's the satisfaction you see here is the connection of God's people. And in verse 9, he's again talking about his prayer. He says, I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment, right? And again, this knowing the right thing to do so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Or in other words, to paraphrase, next, he says, I want you to grow in your faith in Jesus so that you'll pursue things that bring abundant life, joy and real satisfaction like that is what paul is saying in these verses he's like i want you to grow in such a way that you're literally seeing the fruit of jesus christ the the peace of jesus christ the joy of jesus christ regardless of your circumstances that you're seeing that regardless of your circumstances because you are so connected with christ and then now perspective again on perspective in verse 12 he says now i want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. So this is a different kind of perspective to say, okay, this is awful. I'm in jail, but look what actually is good about this. That is a much different perspective that brings a deep satisfaction because he says, verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to everyone else that my imprisonment is because I am in Christ. And he says, most of the brothers have gained confidence in the Lord from my imprisonment and dare even more to speak the word, fearlessly. So here's Paul again, instead of saying, why me, Lord? Why is this happening to me? He's, he's choosing, he's making a decision to say, but look at the goodness of God in this. Like, look what God is doing in spite of these circumstances. Look what God is doing, even perhaps because of these circumstances that I'm in right now. Like, how can I bring hope to somebody else? How can I draw on what God has done in my past in the midst of this really difficult situation? Like, that's a totally different perspective to have about like hard times in your life. And so then he, uh, jumping to verse 20, he says, my eager expectation. And here's where, again, we get into this string of very famous verses. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or death. Again, big, big perspective. And then here we go. in some of these very quotable verses we have about, about heaven for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, right? So either way, Paul says, I am good. Now, if I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me because I still have a calling in my life and I don't know which one I should choose. And I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So that section right there, what happens when a believer dies? He goes to be with Christ. Like there's no like holdover. There's no like layover program for heaven. Like, you know, you're not trying to do that. It's like when you die, you go to be with Christ. And that was part of the satisfaction of, uh, for Paul. Like knowing when this life is over, like, I just know what's gonna happen next. And he was deeply eternally satisfied because of that. And so what he's saying here to these people is that their true satisfaction, and these people lived it out, and it's why Paul was blessed so much by them, is that if you keep your focus on Christ, you're gonna see a total difference in your life because you're not focusing on what you don't have, which is what the world throws at us and gives us you're focusing on what you do have. You have the luxury of the peace that comes with focusing your life on Christ and saying, it's not just about my temporary happiness. Like there's a whole different way of doing this. And that's what Paul wants for them to be able to experience is the, like the fullness of life that comes from Jesus. John 10:10. 10, 10, a thief's purpose is to steal, to kill and destroy, Jesus said, but my purpose is to give them life and give it to them abundantly right? That's not happiness. That's not constantly pursuing happiness. Not that he doesn't want us to be happy, but he's saying there's more than just happiness. And then here's our call to worship in verse 27. Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. And then he goes on, he says, then whether I come and see you or if I'm absent, I will hear about you and that you're standing firm in one spirit. Like Quaybog Church, are we, in, like, are we standing firm in one spirit in one accord and we're contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. There's a deep level of satisfaction and peace that comes from the world being on fire and us being like, but it's okay because we are still on mission together. Like our hope is not in politicians. Our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is not in the economy or the inflation or gas prices being $900 a gallon, right? Like my hope and my security, and my satisfaction isn't in those, right? Not that we don't have to worry about them, but what Paul's saying is in the midst of things that are crazy, he says, we can be united. We can find strength and peace in that. You know, because Paul is really a guy that's lived a hard life and he's writing to people in, uh, in Philippi that are having to make hard choices about their loyalties, right? Because they're supposed to be loyal to Rome because Philippi is not in Rome, right? And But they are absolutely citizens of Rome, living in Philippi. That's like the advantage that came with that. And he's like, he's reminding these people like, hey, remember where your loyalties lie. It's not in the state. It's not in the government. Like you are citizens of heaven now. And so back to my opening question uh, as we close here. What would it feel like to live a satisfied life? Like what would that actually look like? And I go back, my, part of me goes back to this Chuck Swindoll uh, quote. He says, Paul and the church in Philippi, they both experience the real satisfaction that comes from serving Christ. Next, being in authentic relationship with his followers and serving others in the name of Jesus Christ. Being on mission helps you really, really be able to discern, like Paul said, discern what is good. What should you choose? What should you like not choose? What can you say no to? And I love that that's how that's put. Because, again, back to the opening question, what would it feel like to live a satisfied life? I think part of that, to our point today, is your perspective, because your perspective is way, way bigger than just what's sitting in front of us. Your perspective is much deeper than that. It's bigger and better than that. And so, like, practically speaking, what are some of those things that this will do in us? Just to end on a very practical note this morning. First of all, good. this perspective brings peace. And deep satisfaction. That's what you see in the Apostle Paul. It's what you see in this church in Philippi. It's just a different understanding of how to look at life and what we don't have and what we do have, what we don't need and what we do need, right? There's a peace that comes from being able to say, I don't need that. That's not actually going to make me happy, right? Like, uh, just that confidence that comes with living in Christ. Next, this perspective also isn't focused on a scarcity mindset, right? What you don't have. It's focused on what you do have and the mission you're called to be a part of. Because Quaybog Church, we've been given a kingdom, right? We've been given a kingdom. We're responsible for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he's like, I want you to live in a way that that embodies you as a person so that it affects several different things. So go to the next one. You don't spend every dollar you earn on yourself, right? You've got financial margin to give and bless others, right? Next. You're not constantly wrecking relationships with your mouth because, well, my perspective is like, it, like how I feel matters most, so I'm just gonna say whatever I wanna say, right? Your perspective is different as a follower of Jesus. Next, you're not compromising your beliefs for relationships because you realize that your perspective is different. You realize that you can trust Jesus when it comes to relationships and not compromising what you believe because you're buying lies that you're being sold. Next, you honor God through your work ethic your presence around coworkers or kids at school, because again, you realize your perspective is different. You realize that you represent Christ. And as hard as this is, Paul's saying, but that's where you find joy. Like knowing that you don't need to get sucked into everything. You don't need to lose who you are because of the people around you, because you're planting seeds with those people. Your perspective is different. So again, this is like practically speaking, to go back where we started, this is how this impacts us, right? It, it, it lands in our lives in different ways, I know, but I'm just trying to make some of these practical and then lastly you you have some balance in your life because you know rest is important to jesus like you know jesus wants us to rest you know that god wants us to rest and i think that it allows us to live having these kind of this perspective and in life it allows us to a point that we made earlier go next one breathe don't worry god's got this right like because your perspective is different you know that it includes jesus christ and so here's what I would, I would end with today is like, just like, I hope you know this. I hope you understand that your perspective matters, like what you think is important, what you're allowing into your life and what you're, you're thinking like, okay, that really, really matters. Are you able to step a- off that like pleasure carousel, the happiness pursuit carousel and be like, okay, no, I, I don't actually need those. Like I said earlier, you can defiantly say when the world's like, you need this, you can be like, no, no, I don't. Cause that's just the pursuit of happiness. And it's going to just leave me feeling super, super, super not satisfied, right? Whatever that thing might be for you. And so that's why, as Brittany said, I think it'd be great for us to do a, uh, a day-to-day this month. Like, start the challenge. When you leave church, go get yourself a journal and start it every morning. Set an alarm on your phone or something. Some point in your day where you're writing down one thing that you're grateful for this month and then see what it looks like at the end of the month, right? Like, just how much we have to be grateful for because it's not just about this life. Jesus says, I call you to much bigger and much better. So Quaybog Church, let's have a perspective that's much bigger and much better than just our temporary happiness, amen? That's what God calls us to. Tim, you wanna come up and pray us out? Or do you not have a mic? That's okay, I'll pray this out. So Lord, thank you for today. Um, I pray that at Quaybog Church, Lord, your people are gonna be marked uh, as being satisfied people. Um, I pray that we would leave that behind just the chase the pursuit of the happiness all the time, Lord. And I, I know you want us to be happy, Lord, but that is not the purpose of life. And so I pray that we would have a different perspective on that, Lord Jesus. And I pray it's gonna sink down and saturate us in how we live our lives, the decisions we make, the things we do, Lord. And I pray that this church here, the people here are gonna have satisfaction, peace, and joy that you offer us because of that. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Love you guys, have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the Central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.